not sure there's anything in college basketball that Brandon Goble doesn't do at this point. You know, I check on Twitter, he's running a camp in Africa, he's doing a live period thing. Now he's co-hosting, in my mind, one of the best podcasts out there in the college basketball world, uh, the Live Period Podcast. He is at Juco Advocate on Twitter. Thanks for hopping on, man. No, I appreciate you having me. Come on, man. Uh, so, I, so I tweeted this the other day, uh, and, and we've never met personally. Like We've interacted on Twitter for, what, a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, but I really want to read it. Like, I'm not sure there's someone on, in the college basketball world who is doing more with his platform than you, right? Like you're, you're helping out people you know, literally across the world and introducing them to the game and helping them, helping grow the game. So, you know, thanks for that, from <laughs> my, my perspective, but how did you build this? Like, how did you get to where you are today where, you know, you obviously have a lot of influence and you're doing a lot of different things. Like, where did you start to get to where it is now? I mean, it was really kind of a, it was a big accident. So um, I got into basketball doing analytics uh, for a, a division one program and just doing it as kind of a side hustle thing and, and helping the, the assistants there with some stuff and, and did that for a couple of years and uh, I guess three years. And uh, in that process um, developed a couple relationships with the guys that were there, you know, the assistants and stuff. And then uh, with uh, the guy that was the video coordinator at the time, Sam Winooski and uh, who's now an assistant at Seward in Kansas. And so um, at the time I ended up meeting uh, a kid that was just working out in the gym. I would go to like some of the open shoot arounds and stuff and just catch up with the guys and things. And um, the uh, uh, there was a kid that came through there that had just gotten out of the air force uh, named Solomon Heine. And when you go into the military, your clock stops. So he had gone in straight out of high school. He was a combat veteran for six years and, um, decided he wanted to walk on to the school and, and the head coach at the time didn't really do much with walk-ons. And so I said, well, I, you know, I only know the guys here. Um, but I know Sam Winooski who now had gone down to Midland, uh, as an assistant Midland junior college. And so I, I worked, worked Solomon out, um, filmed him, sent the stuff down there. They're like, yeah, I mean, it's a workout tape. Like it's hard. You know, we have no high school stuff, right? He hasn't played basketball in six years. And this is the whack Jack. This is Midland. You know, this is, this is the toughest, one of the toughest leagues in Juco. Um, but we'll take him as a walk on. And so he ended up going down there and starting for them. And, and uh, um, so then he was like, Hey, can you help me, you know, get recruited? Cause he graduated in one year cause he had credits from when he was in the air force. And I'm like, sure. You know, I don't, I don't know anything about that. So I had this other like personal Twitter handle and I think he and I were looking it up one day and I'd sent like 2,700 tweets out about him. And what I would do is follow all these coaches and, and then when they would follow me back, I would, I would tweet at them and then they would follow back and they would, you know, DM me or something. And then I would keep track of, cause I had so few followers on my personal Twitter account. If there was any sort of like media view interaction, I could usually guarantee that that was the coach that had watched it. And so then I would do another one. I'd send another tape and then another tape and whatever it would be like shooting and then defense and you know, all this stuff is Solomon was a big time uh, charge taker. He'd take like one and a half charges a game. And, and so I'd send all this stuff and then sure enough, my DM would pop and coach would be like, Hey, tell me more about this kid and whatever. So he ended up with all these offers and, and uh, just recently wrapped up his career at UTRGV 
And, uh, and so once we got him placed at a school, um, I started Juco Advocate as a Twitter handle. And it was just to be something fun to do and help kids. And I, I started this little spreadsheet and, you know, kids would hit me up and I'd add them to the spreadsheet. And then I'd, you know, see the, the guys that I liked and send it out to coaches and, and all this kind of stuff. And then it just, all of a sudden the spreadsheet had like a thousand names on it. And I was like, I don't know if this is the most efficient way to do this. And, uh, and, and it just, it just kind of grew from there. Um, Daniel Poneman, who's now uh, an NBA agent, uh, started the company with me before he left to go do the agency stuff. And um, so he and I have stayed, uh, stayed close friends and, and still work on projects and things together. And, uh, and, and it just kind of evolved. Um, you know, at first we thought like, Hey, we're going to come up with this website and you know, that kids can upload their stuff into it. And it was kind of one of those things like you didn't know what you didn't know back then. And it was like, you know, all right, well, kids don't update their stuff. <laughs> like they don't, they don't curate it like they should and, and whatever. And so that has kind of evolved into now that, um, uh, we brought in verbal commits, uh, Nathan LeClaire, who, who was the sole owner of verbal commits now as part of our company. And so now like we're rewriting verbal commits, um, and that'll come out sometime, hopefully later this fall, um, is a whole new thing, um, with tons more information. And I mean, it's, it's going to look amazing and it's going to function amazing and it's going to have all this new stuff to it and all that. And so that's kind of like now our website component of it. And the rest of the company has just become this thing where it's like, Hey, let's go do cool stuff. You know, it started out like uh, Matthew McAllister hit me up. Who's a high school coach in Minnesota and said, Hey, you want to go to Africa? And I'm like, sure. He's like, you want to go to Tanzania? And I'm like, yeah, where's Tanzania? And, and who are you? <laughs> and, uh, and we never met. And, and he's like, well, you know, I'm the national team coach at Tanzania. And I was like, you know, I looked and I can't find that. And he's like, yeah, like they've not played a game in years, you know? And so we're trying to grow this grassroots basketball. So eventually they can get out of zone fives and playing an Afro basket. And I was like, all right, well, that sounds interesting. Like, let's go see what that's about. And um, so we, we went to Tanzania and, and the first time I ever met Matthew McAllister was at the Dar es Salaam airport. So fortunately he wasn't catfishing me. Um, and, uh, and we just show up. I mean, it's, it's this, it's this crazy thing where we just kind of have, have been fortunate and blessed to be able to just go do cool stuff now. Like, you know, we've used this platform as best as we've could to help as many people as we can. And so now we, um, you know, we get a lot of opportunities presented to us to just go do stuff and, and help. And, and we're all about it, um, whatever that looks like. So. Yeah. One of the things I'll see from you on, on Twitter. And one of the things that I remember you talking about on, on your podcast was just, there's a lot of bad actors in this, in this industry, whether that was, you know, in Africa, you know, the, the mess with visas and stuff like that. So you read a bunch about like schools that are like, you know, fake schools that pop up and, you know, guys are like grifting $50 off kids. You have no idea like what, what, what else is happening? Like how, like, is, is that what motivates you to do what you do and, and be a little bit different is that you, know, you can, you can help stand out and actually make a difference when there's so many people who are just trying to take, take kids for their talent. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, we, we get the, the kind of obvious, like, um, gratitude from people when they say, Hey, like, you know, we really appreciate what you're doing. Like, thank you. 
And I'm always like, Hey, if you, in a super, like not trying to be selfish way, but in a selfish way, like I get so much more back out of doing this. And I'm not, I don't mean financially even it's, it's like, like going to Nigeria and meeting Gideon George and, and, you know, working out with him out there and hearing his story and spending a week with this kid uh, in one of the craziest places I've ever been. And and doing all this sort of stuff. And now he comes here and I get to go like watch him play games. And then, you know, he goes, he's signed to BYU. He just got to campus and like, I'm going to get to go watch him. Like that, that feeling back is something you can't describe. And I think, I I think I I wish there was more people that do uh, things in this business for that feeling. And, and it, again, it's, it's hard to describe. Um, it's like, it's like when your kid is, you know, does something successful. Like I've got two daughters, right. I got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And when they do something successful, you get that feeling. Right. And, and it's like an adrenaline rush. And that's like, you know, it's like a drug where you're just like, God, I, I want to have more of that feeling. Like I love going down to the Caribbean and meeting Tyreek Singh and hearing his crazy story. And then, you know, he goes to McCook and then he signs at Saginaw and you get that feeling. And all of a sudden that's what you're chasing the whole time. And all of a sudden you realize like, you know, that you're having this impact in the world. And then all of a sudden I sit down and I think like, you know, this is why I'm here. You know, I I think that's something that all of us are always kind of looking for is like, why am I here? What am I doing? You know, I was in the corporate world for 15 years. I can sure as shit guarantee I wasn't put on this earth to work in the corporate world for 15 years. Um, you know, and, and, and almost got to the point where like I would have these panic attacks thinking like, if, is this what I'm going to do forever? You know, am I going to be 70 years old and finally hang it up and say like, well, what did I accomplish? I don't know a whole lot of TPS reports and you know, stuff like that. Like that's, that's the thing that like really just kind of got the juices flowing. And, and I was, it was crazy because when I would sit back and look at it now, and think like, holy cow, how lucky was I that Solomon Heine walked into that gym that day? You know, because what I was doing in basketball was something that had no longevity to it, really. Like, I was never going to become a coach. Um, you know, I liked the the math side of it. I liked the analytics side, but it was it was pretty short-lived kind of stuff. And and he just happened to walk into the gym that day. And so I think uh, I think that's kind of an important thing, too, is like, people need to be ready for when whatever comes along, comes along and like run with it. Um, you know, it, it, there's, there's, there's always going to be missed opportunities if you're not ready. And I don't know, at that point in my life, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to figure this out. You mentioned, you mentioned Gideon George. You've tweeted a lot about him over the years. Um, and I, I remember you tweeting like, oh my God, like we got into, I think New Mexico junior college. And yeah. so like when I saw him commit to BYU, I was like, oh man, this is awesome. Cause like, I remember that name. Like yeah. I see so many names just scroll through my feed, but like, like, like AAU dad about him. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it, it has been unbelievable to track that story. And I'm, I'm excited to see what he does at BYU, but like explain a little more like basketball in Africa and, yeah. and the things that those guys are dealing with. Uh, and, and what you've learned from it. Yeah. It, um, so the, the two places we've been in Africa, which will hopefully here, we were supposed to go back this summer. Um, we're Tanzania. Uh, we went to Dar es Salaam, which is a city of about 18 million, I think in Eastern Tanzania. Uh, and then we went to a Nigeria, which is a small city, small, uh, about a million people 
um, in kind of Southern Nigeria and um, two very different experiences for sure. Um, Tanzania is, is interesting because when you think of Africa, you're actually most of the time thinking of Tanzania. Like for somebody that's not been to Africa for an American and they say, okay, what does Africa look like? And they close their eyes. They're usually thinking of Tanzania because that's where the Serengeti is. That's where Lake Victoria is, Kilimanjaro, uh, all that. That's in Tanzania. So, you know, all the safaris and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, that's where we were kind of supposed to go this, this, next, this summer was we were going to head to Western Tanzania where uh, one of the other kids from our camp, Atiki Ali Atiki's from. And so we had gone to, to Dar and, and honestly, like if you'd have said, all right, I need you to describe what this is going to be like, I'd have been miles off. I don't even know what I would have come up with. Like I had no idea what to expect. We, we get on this plane and um, I'll tell this story just because it's bonkers. Um, so Dan and I were here and then our, our guy, Shay Frazee, who's one of my favorite people on the planet. He's our trainer that we bring with us on this stuff. He works with NBA guys and high school kids and all that out of California. And we get to the, they, they had come out here to Denver um, where I was and, and we go to the airport for a midnight flight and, uh, Shay puts down his passport and the passport falls apart. <laughs> and, and he's like, Oh, sorry. You know, he puts it back together. And uh, the lady looks at him. She goes, I'm sorry, but like, you can't fly with a passport that's not together. And he's like, what are you talking about? Like my pictures here or whatever. And she's like, no, like it's the rules. And, and this, this argument drug on for 45 minutes of him, like trying to talk his way onto this airplane. And so then he, um, is basically like, he can't get on it. Dan and I are looking at each other like, yo, we got to go. Like we got to catch this next, this next leg of this flight. Um, and uh, so Shay spent the next day uh, at the, at the passport place, begging this lady to like issue him an emergency passport. And he was like, I'm going to Africa to help kids. <laughs> and she was like, Oh my God, we'll get this done. Whatever. She throws together this passport that dude caught the next midnight flight. Uh, so he was only 24 hours behind us, but, um, so we we're, we're flying and you got all this adrenaline, right? You're like, I'm going to Africa. Like I never would have thought I would have said that. And, and I traveled a lot when I was a kid, especially cause I grew up in England and, but this was this whole like other wild experience. And so it takes about 30 hours to get to Dar, um, from Denver. Cause you've got your flight to New York, which is four and a half. You've got New York to Dubai, which is like 15. Uh, in the air, then you've got Dubai to Dar, which is like another 10. So you're in the air for 29 hours and then some, some other layovers and stuff in between there. And uh, so we show up in Africa and I mean, it's, it's kind of like what you see on TV or on the internet, like lots of really low buildings, like nothing's over a story unless it's something that's built by you know, some business or whatever, but there's not many of those. Um, and it's, it's just like, just, it's just like raw humanity. Um, because most of the people don't have power. They don't have running water, even in a lot of the city centers and stuff. If they do have those things, it's pretty hit and miss. Um, but the people are unbelievably amazing. Like I never felt unsafe, um, in Tanzania. I definitely felt unsafe in Nigeria a couple of times, but in Tanzania, like I never felt unsafe. Um, it was, it was just 
the food was amazing and the colors were amazing, you know, the buildings and the, uh, just the, and it's kind of hard to explain because you're so uncomfortable the whole time. It's hotter than hell there. I mean, it's a hundred degrees because you're, you're at the equator. So it's a hundred degrees all the time. And, and you're just, you're incredibly uncomfortable. And, but yet like, I'm happier than I ever am. You know, I'm, I'm so like at ease and relaxed because I'm not thinking about all the other, you know, I got to pay these bills. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like I don't have internet. My cell phone barely works. Like people can't get a hold of me. Like, it's just like, I'm living in the now, like I'm present right now and experiencing that. So we go run this camp and 250 kids showed up on the first day <laughs> and there's me and Dan and, and Shay and Matt and, and then Bahadium Gunda, who is this unbelievable human that, that lives in Dar there that um, takes care of all these kids and trains them and teaches them as best he can and all that kind of stuff. And 250 kids in like four buckets. And we're like, Oh geez. All right. Well, we better, we better figure this out quick. So it just kind of, you just kind of launch into it. And, um, and you start figuring it out. Uh, basketball is tough there. There was one indoor court in the entire country of Tanzania and Tanzania is the size of Texas wow. and the indoor court there in Dar es Salaam, the national stadium, like indoor court, you know, it's concrete, it's slicker than ice. It's like an airplane hangar looking thing. Um, you know, no AC, obviously no, you know, there's fluorescent lights kind of flickering and, and all this stuff, but like, the passion of the people involved there and, and, you know, they're all about it and they don't, they're still figuring out like what's going on. I mean, Hashim to beats the only player that anybody can remember from Tanzania. I, he's one of two or three, I think division one players ever from Tanzania. Um, and uh, obviously the most famous, but you know, he never really kind of hit, um, you know, once he made it to the NBA. And so like basketball just never like clicked there. Not like when Olajuwon came from Nigeria. And so they're still figuring the game out and um, but the potential there is through the roof. I mean, um, once you get out kind of to the, to the West, more to um, tribes where like Atiki's from uh, out in Mwanza near Lake Victoria, near the Congo border. Um, I mean, if you could guarantee me a visa for, for every one of these kids, I mean, we just load up high major kids all over the place because they're just, there's so much talent there and size and strength and driven kids, like unbelievable kids, incredibly intelligent kids. Um, you know, so like Gideon there from Nigeria, like the talent walking around Nigeria is unbelievable. You know, it's not like Gideon comes from a place where he has no power, no running water. He'd have to walk an hour each way with 10 gallon buckets to get water for the week. And he'd sleep outside cause it was too hot. And because you're sleeping outside, you're catching malaria and, you know, they, they, they don't have much in the way of infrastructure and, and very little in the way of healthcare um, or anything like that. And, and so when you think about that for Gideon in that context, like for like, that's pretty audacious to say like, Hey, this kid can come to college and play college basketball on a team that is full of division one players against division one players every night. And this dude won freshman of the year in the whack jack that's not supposed to happen, right? right? Like you think about how hard that is uh, for somebody with so little background, so little basketball context, he'd been playing basketball for like three years. Um, you know, he has only an outdoor court with busted rims and basketballs where the leather left years ago. Right. And, uh, and now he, he 
that's joining the number 13 team in the country um, in division one. Like, it's just crazy. And as much as I love Gideon, like there's a lot more Gideons out there and there's a lot more Atikis out there. And if it was easier for those kids to take advantage of the opportunities available to them without us stopping them, right. You know, at the border, there'd be a lot of them. There'd be so many incredible success stories. Man, that's, that is unbelievable. Um, thank you uh, for, for shedding light. Uh, I don't think anyone on this show uh, listening right now had, had any idea of, of what was going on over there until you just shared. So I appreciate that. Uh, let, let's pivot a little bit. Uh, so I want to talk about your podcast. It's been, I think, you know, a great success. Like I was excited to tune in when you first announced it, but like, you know, the guests you guys have been pulling have been first class. I just you know, listened to Penny Hardaway yesterday, Brian Scalabrini on, Toby Smith. Um, but you've also kind of bitten off some of the bigger topics, like the human trafficking episode I mentioned. Um, Lavelle Moden just recently talked about just kind of the state of race relations in the country. Um, and then there was another interview that I really liked with um, Tubby Smith and with uh, Penny Collins, uh, where and you guys talked essentially about like black coaches in college basketball. Like this is not the normal college basketball, like me and Brad podcast where we like sit down for an hour and like roll through the transfer portal. Like what inspired you to really like go in, go in the direction that you guys have gone with the show? You know, it, uh, coronavirus helped, right? Like we're sitting around going, well, we've been talking about this podcast for a while. And, um, and we said, well, what better time than now? And so Thomas Villianco and I have known each other for a number of years, but I did not know Nick Goodwin, who is our other co-host, but he knew Thomas. And Nick is this incredibly creative, intelligent, thoughtful, wonderful person um, who I have yet to meet in person because, uh, you know, we kind of jumped on this podcast, um, uh, you know, started planning it maybe a few months before we actually launched it or at least we'd started talking about it so I haven't even gotten to go see him yet because you know traveling and, and all that sort of stuff so um so we, we we wanted to do something different we didn't know what that was really going to look like and so you'll kind of see as you go through the episodes and it makes it sound like you know we've been doing this for years I mean we've been doing it for what two and a half months I think we're 16 episodes in now but there's a transition for sure um to see like as we've kind of found our stride with it. Uh, we found our voice a little bit. Um, the, the first episode with Mark Pope was fantastic. Uh, I, I love Mark and, and he, um, you know, he spoke about some really cool stuff, spoke about his team and, and the episode was great, but then that was kind of like, there wasn't necessarily the voice that we wanted to have with it as, as started listening to it and said, okay, what else can we do? And so in episode two, I was like, screw it, let's just do something crazy and let's do human trafficking. And they were like, yeah, sure. I mean, we've just started the podcast. If this goes sideways, then, you know, whatever. It was a, it was a short run. And, um, and so we, we, we did that one and that, and that kind of caught up a lot of attention and that felt a little more comfortable. And, you know, we did a, we did one on name, image, and likeness with Dustin Kearns. Um, and, and I think what we have kind of figured out now is that for us, um, the stories are, you know, the, the, the key to the whole thing. And it's, it's less like information from us. It's us doing a lot of listening, right? Um, we have to be purposeful with like our questions and, and maybe the topics that we're trying to hit, but we're starting to figure out like there's some, there's just some unbelievable stories out there in the world. And while there's nothing wrong with hearing about like, 
you know, a team season and their signing class and all that kind of stuff. Like there's some great people like yourself that are covering a lot of those things. So we want to cover some of the other stuff. Right. Um, and so you know, kind of like with the player series there, where we're talking to guys like Juan Toscano Anderson from the Warriors and everybody goes, Oh yeah. Juan Toscano Anderson with the Warriors three-year contract, you know, played at Marquette kind of, you know, and, and scratches their head and they're like, well, yeah, he didn't, so he didn't put up huge numbers there. Like how did he wind up here? And then you hear the story and you're like, Oh geez, you know, like, that's cool. Um, you know, his, his path to where he's at from being homeless and picking up basketball because a principal or a teacher or somebody bought him a basketball while he was homeless. And, you know, fortunate for him, he grew to be six, seven, but like he, he had this, this, this life path that was not supposed to end with him playing in the NBA. And this is a guy from Oakland, but is also, um, you know, half black, half Mexican national. And so he's got this complicated, um, racial story to tell too, which he has been very vocal about now in the last couple of weeks as well, as far as like, you know, who he is as a person and, and, you know, who he's supporting and, and all that sort of thing where he's just done this unbelievable stuff of organizing rallies and, and all that. And it just adds to this incredible story of this guy that, you know, was a top 150 kid. He just didn't really click in college. So he goes and plays in, in, you know, in Mexico and, and, you know, which is crazy basketball down there. And he talks about like living in a trap house when he's down there and all this sort of stuff. And then taking advantage of these opportunities and suddenly like calling the G league team and saying, Hey, like I'm, I want to come play for you. And they're like, yeah, sure. You know, come try out. And he did. And then they signed him and then they didn't have him for very long because he wound up with the big club. And then he just signed this new contract and you hear those stories and they resonate in some way with everybody, right? It, like you don't have to be a basketball player to have Juan's story resonate with you. And those are the stories we want to tell. We want to talk about cool stuff with pop culture. Um, you know, like talking to Penny was cool to hear his story and the things he overcame to get to where he's at. But it's also cool to be like, hey, what's it like having a signature shoe? You know, um, tell me about Nick Nolte screaming at you on the set of Blue Chips. Um, you know, so we've got some, we've got some really neat ones lined up here that, that I never would have thought like I'd be doing a show on, on NBA jam. We're doing this NBA jam one next week with a, a guy that wrote a book uh, about the cultural impact and the history of NBA jam. So I don't know. We're just going to talk about it. Like it's gonna be cool. Um, and uh, we're lining up some other guests that are just going to tell some amazing stories. The one after that, I don't want to spoil it yet because we're going to put together kind of a cool release on it, but it's another author of a book who was a player. And this guy's story is bonkers. Like this is one of the crazy, to, to the point where he actually just sold, I think the movie rights to his book. So um, when we share that with everybody, you guys definitely need to go check it out. And uh, it's, it's insane. I mean, it sounds like a movie first and didn't actually couldn't have possibly ever happened to somebody's life. And the, the fact that it's vice versa is insane. Looking, looking forward to that one. hundred uh, percent. Latest thing from you this week tweeted it out project rise which essentially a mentorship program for minority coaches any more details you can share on this i'm, I'm really excited about it yeah we actually just uh put together a little something today uh right before this um kind of got locked in so what it is is we're going to be uh working with 10 black coaches from the high school aau and juco ranks and we're going to be pairing them up with uh d1 
head coaches. Um, we've already started talking to some high major guys uh, that are definitely interested. Um, I, I think I think a lot of these guys are just going to say yes uh, because I think they see the value in what we're doing here. And the goal is to um, have an eight-month mentorship program. And at the end of these eight – and we're choosing guys as candidates that we think have shown that they – can be division one coaches. And, and it's not that division one is the end all be all of everything, but 75% of head coaches in division one are white guys. And that includes the MIAC and the SWAC. So, um, so that's, that's tough. Like it shouldn't look like that. So if we're going to help affect that change, we've really got to start in, you know, getting some of these top talent coaches into division one and getting them positioned to be the coach that five, 10 years from now, when it's time for them to be a division one head coach, um, you know, they're there and, and ready for that opportunity. And so we want to get 10 of these guys injected into division one every year. So the way that we're going to do that is through this mentorship program. And so when you're, you know, mentoring with this high major head coach um, and next year a job comes open, the, the hope is that that coach now has a relationship with you and you've done your part uh, through the projects that we're going to assign and, and all that kind of thing that that coach picks up the phone and says, Hey, you got to hire my guy. Like I've just, I've literally just spent the entire season mentoring this guy and, and he's a dude. And if I had a spot and, and maybe some of these guys, maybe they'll hire him, you know, if they, if they've got a spot, but um, you know, especially like getting into uh, you know, maybe low major programs first or mid major programs and things like that. Um, so we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be doing stuff where we're going to assign a project each month and these guys are going to work through it and they're going to get feedback from their mentors and they're going to, um, they're going to do all that sort of thing. And we actually just connected with uh, former Cornell coach, Adam Gerlach, um, who does, um, a lot of emotional intelligence and kind of life coach sort of things, uh, both on the professional development side, but also on the athletic, uh, development side and things like that. So we're going to, we're going to work on a program there where he's also going to have a curriculum that he is um, working through with uh, our coaching candidates as far as just some like personal development stuff too. And um, additional things that they can take into their coaching um, that, uh, you know, they, they wouldn't necessarily have ready, ready access to, you know, the, a lot of the things that Adam does are, um, corporate things, team things, coach things, all that kind of stuff. And when you're a young guy coming up in this business, whether it be because of money or time or accessibility or whatever, these are just not like things that, that a lot of coaches uh, in general put a lot of thought into, And but it's important. And so, um, you know, our hope is to, to help give them some development opportunity here through this as well. And uh, so at the end of all this, uh, Project Rise is, is what it um, – what it sounds like. We're going to help lift and raise up uh, these coaches and help them get to where they want to, because we have the platform to be able to do that. Love it. Love it. All right. Two more questions. If you got the time, first yeah, one, man. we're going we're to get to Juco basketball. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in the coronavirus impact on it, right? Because I've already seen some lower profile programs saying they're going to cancel sports the year or push it back to the second semester. Like there's just not money in JUCO basketball. Like there isn't D1 to test guys every week or test guys every day. Right. What do you think the outlook is for JUCO basketball this year? So I think, I think junior college basketball for the most part is going to end up falling in line with what the rest of the country is doing. Um, oddly enough, most of these junior college programs are in places that don't have a huge 
uh, coronavirus um, issue, I guess. Uh, not very many of them in, in large cities. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting though. Uh, you know, a lot of, some places are pushing back, like nobody coming to campus until uh, August. Uh, schools are talking about changing start dates from September to August. And, you know, what is all that going to look like? So I think, I think for the most part, programs are going to be uh, able to have a season. Now the season is going to look different because a lot of programs are saying to their coaches, like, Hey, you can't leave the state, right? Like you got to cancel those non-conference games with, you know, where you're, you're flying somewhere, you're driving three, four States away. Like that's done. Um, you got to play in state. So coaches are scrambling right now. I mean, you, <laughs> imagine like being told like a month before you really need to have your schedule locked in that like everything you've been working on for the last year is toast. And now like you have to, try and schedule it all within state or within adjoining states. And you also have to compete for those games with everybody else in there. The schools are doing the same thing. And, and so now it's this free for all for, for scheduling some of these games. So there's going to be teams that are going to play 30 games. There's going to be teams that may end up only playing 15 games. You know, it's that part is still like totally remains to be seen, not only from a budgetary standpoint, but a safety standpoint. Um, you know, and all that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Um, last one, keep, keep it a little fun here. Um, I think I saw a stat that like 30 out of 32 D one conferences now have a Juco guy coming in next year. Yeah. I want to hear some of your favorites. Who are some high level guys going to, you know, big schools and a couple of mid major sleepers as well. You know, so like the, the, there's the names like Tyon Grant Foster going to Kansas. Like how freaking cool is that? That, you know, for junior college guys, when, when people, people that have half a brain don't give them a hard time about going to junior college, but unfortunately half the people don't have half a brain. So, you know, a guy like Tyon has probably heard a ton of crap from, you know, players before and parents and other coaches and stuff. What are you doing and all that? And now he gets to look at him and go, I'm going to Kansas. What are you doing? Um, and so, you know, that, that one's an exciting one for sure. Sardar Calhoun, who's going to Florida state. Um, it was one of my favorite guys this year. He's, he's just an absolute sweetheart of a kid, but he is talented. I mean, he's six, six and shoots the holy God out of it. And, you know, he's muscular and he's athletic and, and all these kinds of things. And, and Florida state has had success, uh, with Juco guys in the past. Um, there was a kid from Sheridan there a couple of years ago that, that was really a sniper for them. Um, and has, you know, really shown that he, you know, like that, that you can translate that, especially, you know, pretty, pretty quickly. If you're, if you're of that level, Tomas Walden Tensei last year did the same thing in Virginia, right? Like, like the one thing that Tomas could do right from the drop as he developed the rest of it was he could shoot that thing and, um, you know, made the right choice with the fit. So, um, you know, guys like, uh, you know, I think like David Walker is going to do really well down at South Alabama. I think that was a steal for Richie. Um, you know, David, when, when David fully commits his head to being in the game and, and um, you know, I, I think honestly believing that he belongs, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of guys in the country better than him. And so I think at that level, like Richie's got another steal there that's, that's going to be big time for him. Um, I'm trying to think you, you've got, uh, Vince Cole, uh, you know, going up to, uh, 
St. John's and um, you know, they, they, Jake Williams did an unbelievable job at USC Sockahatchee this year. Uh, Vince has, has a chance to be really, really, really good. Um, and uh, you know, there's uh, Rudy Williams going to Kansas state, like one of the, one of, if not the best point guard in the country. Um, and to say that Kansas state got a steal, like that's kind of, you know, it's like, how does a high major get a steal with a Juco kid? Uh, Cause I think that's kind of the, the prevailing thought with it. But uh, if Rudy, if Rudy clicks, like Ru- Rudy's a player, Rudy's Rudy's really dynamic. He's a true point guard. He can really see the floor. Well, um, just one of those guys that, that uh, is, is actually hard to find these days. There's not a lot of guys that like being point guards and Rudy can score the ball too. But if you say, Hey Rudy, I need you to get me 12 assists tonight. Yeah. All right. I'll go do that. Um, you know, so I think I think he's a great fit for for Bruce as well. So awesome! No, it's a it's a great list. Those are guys I have I have written down. Um, I watched uh, David Walker's film after I had uh, Richie on the show. Like I was like, well, how is that kid going to South Alabama? <laughs> like like geez, that kid if that kid puts it together, like he's going to be special. So yeah, and there's a few of those this year. I mean, Demoy Hodge is going to Cleveland state yeah. and you know, Dennis Gates is one of my favorite coaches in all of basketball. And he, he stole one last year with Trey Gomillion uh, as a qualifier who ended up being a, a stud for them. Um, and, uh, and then this year he goes out and he gets Demoy Hodge early. I guarantee you if Demoy Hodge had been available in February, uh, Cleveland state wouldn't have even, you know, been able to come close to the level that would have been recruiting him. Now, maybe Des Moines would have said to heck with it. I love Dennis so much. I'm going anyways, but everybody in the country would have been calling that kid. And so um, I think Dennis stole another one there. Uh, and, and just like Richie with, uh, um, with David, uh, Amora Morgan uh, was the lead recruiter on that thing. He did a hell of a job. I mean, you want to talk about like camping out on a kid all year, like, Roe Ro was constantly on that one because he knew, he said, Hey, you know, if, if I let go of this one for a second, I'm going to lose control. Like there's, there's no way because he's so incredibly talented. Uh, watching him and Teddy Allen go against each other this year was bonkers in the, the region nine championship. Like I, I think, I think Teddy had 40 maybe. And David had like 38 or something in this game. And it wasn't even, it wasn't even just like, you know, Hey, all right, I have the ball. Now everybody clear out and we're playing one-on-one, but it kind of ended up feeling like that because like those guys just cranked it up to a whole nother level. Like everybody else is trying to be involved and these two are just elevating above everything else. It was, it was crazy. If there's one thing Teddy Allen will always been able to do, it's score the basketball. Uh, yes. Yes. He, he's he can, very talented. He can Yes, he he is talented. I I really really hope I really hope that um, you know Teddy goes in there with the right mindset this year and and says hey this is this is my last chance to show everybody that I'm an NBA talent because he is Teddy Allen's an NBA talent and uh, if if that stuff if if he clicks and gets his head right in there and and figures it out uh, who knows we'll be watching him on TV excited about it well we appreciate you keep doing what you're doing i mean it is unbelievable to hear some of the stuff that you've done the the change you're making in, in the college basketball world both here and here and across across the world so uh brennan goble juco advocate uh thanks thanks so much for joining us tonight hey i appreciate you having me on